conference the SEC schedule. football's unwillingness to add a ninth conference game. Listen, but. listen, listen. <laughs> Those games against the Citadel in late November, they mean a lot. Yeah, I know. They they get you that extra win. Sister Mary. Hey, I've the, seen the Citadel the play floor. in person when they came to Wisconsin. Yeah, that's true. It was but closer than was, Wisconsin fans would have liked. That was also in September, though. <laughs> it was. <laughs> that wasn't... Uh, uh, I don't really want to buy week. Let's schedule Gardner Webb. And then And gee, I wonder why all of the SEC teams are very well positioned to make deep runs in the playoff. Crazy, right? And uh, the postseason. Oh, wait, it's because they have two bye weeks. <laughs> what an idea that is. Hey, well, they play really hard. It's another game. Half of that conference freaking sucks anyway. Oh, they do. And they, they're the they're the ones that chant SEC every chance they get. Which, I mean, yeah. Well, we all know the SEC. You don't have the right to do that. The SEC's never lost a bowl game that they actually cared about. True. Uh, but, yeah, they, they also, you know, have better players than, than most other places. I think the, across big, the country. big 10 should start that. Start start moving into the south. No, start moving into the. We didn't care <laughs> about mean, this one. I mean, come on. Oh yeah, I, I'm with that too. It's like they should start getting better. Players. No, that's where yeah. we, that's right. where the Big Ten starts to brag. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's right. You see that Maryland just won that seven and five bowl. Yeah, got it. Yep, big time. Oh, we lost the We're college deep. football playoff. We're deep. They didn't want to be there. They didn't. It was below them. It was funny when the the Arkansas-Kansas game from last year when Arkansas was up like 30, yeah. and then they choked, and they won in overtime. But it was a great win for the SEC throughout the entire game until yeah, Kansas came back, and then was, Arkansas didn't care. It was like 35-7, right? Something then they like won that. in overtime, yeah. and it's like, oh, great win. Great Got win. it. Great win. So, uh, yeah, uh, the Big Ten moving south could help, I would say, with uh, talent acquisition. Yeah. I mean, it's the Rust Belt and then the Bible Belt where you find all all these guys. Did you know that uh, I, I need to double check this, but out of the last 17 national champions. Football? Yes. Okay. 16 of them have come from below the Mason-Dixon line. Oh, uh, did you see that tweet that had the circle? Of, and it's like, <laughs> this is where they came from. It's like, damn. And it's just America. <laughs> <laughs> what's the What's the few above Ohio State? That's it. Yeah. That's the only one. That's the only one. Everything That's else. the only one is 2014. Yeah. Uh, and they've all come from east of the Mississippi because LSU, yeah. I think, is right on the Mississippi. Yeah. Or it's like 14 of 17. No, but their stadium, their campus is on one side of the river and the stadium's on the other. So people double checked and made sure that it counts. <laughs> well, I'm so, trying to think of teams when you when you think there's of a true contenders. You. Who's your true contenders in the Midwest? Ohio Michigan, State. Ohio State. Uh, I mean... I'm it's talking a, about it's since, Ohio State since they it's, went it's Ohio State. since they it's went Ohio to State. a college football playoff. Ohio State, that's it. Michigan's been there. Yeah. Notre Dame has They've been, been there. to the playoff, but uh, but Ohio Cincinnati State. was there. Michigan State was there. But uh, okay, uh, okay. <laughs> Michigan State was there. Connor they Cook. got their doors blown off. Hey, it happens. Cincinnati battled whatever, but there's a difference between being same, a you know what going Dame. there and being a contender. Ohio State contends. I would rather get my doors blown off in the first round of Same. the college football playoff than do Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game. I Oh, I completely agree. But, like, Michigan? Listen, Michigan, if they beat TCU, are they compete? Like, like, are they coming close to that Georgia team? I still think they get little no. brothered. Yes. But it's it's not as bad. According to Michigan fans, yes. <laughs> oh they still God. get little brothered, but it's, it's like a two-touchdown game, not getting beat by 50. Sure. But... <laughs> Through the playoff era, the true contender from the north, if you will, has been Ohio State, yeah. and that's it. 
I'm think. trying to think who else would have been north that has been into the college football playoff. Washington, the Huskies. And they lost by 32. That's Notre Dame's been there totally twice. Different. Notre Dame's got demolished twice, twice too. Yeah. Cincinnati like, got yeah, the, they've gone there, but like, come on. What are, I'm trying to think of, yeah, USC would even probably be south. Now, they haven't been there. But they will. Oregon. Oregon played in a national championship. Yeah. 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 But yeah, it's like the teams that are north, it's basically Ohio State or Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Indeed. That is that is what we call geography. It is. <laughs> and here we go. At Ben Z. Kenny on Twitter for everyone who wants to get mad. We're back. Listen, I've been positive even. Oh, good. I've been positive about yeah. like everything. Well, I don't, I don't it, know how to tie this back into basketball. But. Isn't it isn't it weird that all of a sudden, welcome to the new big so, okay, so for football. We see Luke Fickle come in. He's recruiting the Midwest extremely well, but he does have some. He, he does have. A, he brought in a big transfer class. Yeah, you know, it's I. Every single thing he has done has been awesome, and I'm all in. And I think it's a great move. I think the coordinator's great. They're doing awesome things. But I'm saying like his body of work, just in general, he recruits the Midwest pretty well. And when I say Midwest in recruiting, they consider Pennsylvania Midwest. Sure, which I it's mean, not. I agree, it's not. It's, but it it's, gets counted. It's the footprint. Yeah, it gets counted as a Midwest recruiting football state. I mean, Western PA, sure. Um, but I mean, it, Nebraska no, I see where you're coming state. from. But <laughs> listen, the, the 2024 class, when you look at the dudes they've gotten, is pretty darn impressive so far. But until that class, until he has a full year to create that class, I don't think we could say he has come out and he has recruited everything great because they brought in a big transfer class. Yeah, you know. It's not as if he's come in and, and they have a top whatever class next year. He has to he has to do it. He has to make yeah. that class. And but I that's think also he will. one of those out of necessity. Uh, Obviously. You come into it a little late. You get your early signees. Um, it, it's not like when, when Barry Alvarez came in here, he brought in a whole bunch of transfers. Like uh-huh. That's how bare the cupboards were when no, Barry Alvarez does. got here. And everybody loves to say, well... Alvarez didn't do it. Yes, he did. He went to JUCOs and he went to transfers to get the Badgers to well, where they were. What do you think he would have if he did that back then, mm-hmm. when it wasn't transfers weren't really a big thing? Yeah, think about what he would have done in today's college football. Barry, had, had yeah. he walked into a situation yeah, of like, like Wisconsin. what he did, yeah, yeah, it would have been like I need. It would have been like this. I need those dudes. <laughs> well, I want to. I want to get into this because I think it. I think you could tie it back into with some Wisconsin football and basketball recruiting with footprints and where it's going. So we were talking about kind of the recruiting and I think it's interesting with the changes in NIL, obviously Luke fickle and Wisconsin putting more money into the program, whether that be for NIL recruiting staff for the record, for the record. Yes. Luke fickle, Chris McIntosh, they, they do not put money in NIL. There's a, Significant, there's a big line drawn. The collective exists aside from everything. What they have likely done is embraced the collective's existence, mm-hmm. which is important. And clearly the collective has done a lot. We, we saw the billboards. But all that stuff happens independently of Fickle and the program. Right. Where McIntosh and them have put money in is the recruiting staff, which is clearly like look at all the social media people. Like all the stuff they produced. Yeah. I, There's a lot of money in I that. I don't know if you noticed, but uh, I think Monday or Wednesday, probably the first of the month, they posted, they finally posted um, new, like the staff actually, outside of the coaches. Okay. So like, you know, uh, the roster page on UW Badgers. Yep. And they usually have 
coaching staff under that and then support staff, they finally posted the the support staff. And, yeah, the amount of, quote, unquote, new media, digital strategists, yep. and it's like the amount that they're putting into this. So, I really, it kind of tells me probably the old head coach wasn't willing to do that. Um, I don't think it's willing. It's a. It's not a question of do you want to do it or not. It's a question of do you have the the initiative to do it. It's a question but, of do you like he clearly did not care as much about the public facing part of the job, right? Which is very well documented. Um, I, I think it's a Macintosh thing. I think it's a fickle thing. I just think in general, when we talk about you know what they saw as the future of the program, they they saw that all as important. Yeah, I think Chris came from a time when it wasn't and didn't necessarily move forward but i don't think it's only him i think it's everybody at the helm that like like but it's also showing you the athletic department is willing to throw the money at it but i think that's mcintosh right but that's also mcintosh was here under him so if if or he was here under mcintosh so if that was legit part of it where you know they apparently went into that meeting and he wasn't going to fire him and it led to something like, I don't know, but like if off field stuff was a key part of it and he said no to it, that's solely on the head coach. It is because right now, even building their new staff, it's showing that the athletic department is 100% completely behind expanding roles and stuff. Like, for the first time ever, we have a chief of staff. Hmm. I, I don't know what that is. <laughs> like Titles. Titles right. and titles. I'm pretty sure it's like the guy who is taking all the off-field, behind-the-scenes duties of the head coach. But, like, <laughs> what is a chief of staff? Uh, for a football program. I feel like that's a question you'd have to ask Ben's buddy, Saeed Khalif, because he was he was kind of the guy that didn't he, Ben, kind of get this started a little bit, being kind of the, the first real staff that Wisconsin had for recruiting? Not really. I I, I mean, he, he did a great job, and that's why the headlines were made, and then he left and wanted a lot more at Michigan State. It's not as if they didn't have recruiting staff previously, and it's not as if afterwards. It was the first time it got popularized. Sure. Uh, And I think part of that is Jesse Temple of The Athletic wrote an article about it, you know? Yeah. Where where some of it is people care more. People have cared more recently about it, I feel like. But also, when COVID hit, I think in the grand scheme of Barry handing the reins to McIntosh, and, like, Barry was going to step down earlier, right? but he stayed through COVID and made the transition easier. I don't know how you could focus on all that stuff with COVID going on, not to give everybody a pass, but I think the timing looking back hindsight being what it is makes sense. Cause yeah. once all that stuff is in the past and Macintosh starts, I think that's when they actually clearly took these initiatives. This Aid Khalif thing's different. I mean, what they have right now is a recruiting staff that's all over the, the public facing part of it and the hype. Zaid Khalif wanted to be a general manager. And that's kind of what he is in Michigan State. He wanted 10 staffers. He wanted to control the roster and all that stuff. So I still understand the idea of not giving all of your roster power to one guy. So now I wanted to kind of talk about Wisconsin when it comes to recruiting now. We're in a, we're in a new era 
of NIL and like this new age recruiting for both football and basketball. Well, when you look at Luke Fickle, who was hired, Fickle has a really good footprint when it comes to recruiting Ohio, Pennsylvania. He's obviously an Ohio State guy. He clearly that helps him stay in the Midwest, but he even has some ties to some of the Southern States where he was pulling talent at Cincinnati, like Florida, Georgia, Tennessee, yeah. and a few, yeah, few States in the South. But now you look at how the big 10 is changing. We talk about how USC, UCLA, they're going to be coming into the big 10 in 2024. And Lincoln Riley is in McGuanago high school <laughs> recruiting a four-star offensive lineman. Yeah. Like it is becoming a different world where, Lincoln Riley's in Wisconsin recruiting offensive linemen and Luke Fickle. And even before him, I believe, you know, the Jim Leonard, Paul, Chris, they offered like half the team at, at modern, modern day, day yeah. scholarships, which is literally in USC's back backyard. Mm-hmm. And that's where they get a lot of talent. Yeah. For the most part, it's been a USC, but it's, it's crazy. <laughs> like it's, it's crazy that this is now the big 10 where you have USC going into the state of Wisconsin to recruit Wisconsin's going to the state of California. Now, overall, I would say, that's probably beneficial to Wisconsin more than oh, USC yeah. as Wisconsin has done a pretty good job fencing in the state. But I think it's smart for Lincoln Riley and some of these other big 10 schools to say, Hey, Luke fickles an Ohio guy. Yeah. He, he's not a Wisconsin guy. Maybe we can penetrate the state of Wisconsin and steal a few in home recruits. Cause he's, he just doesn't have the relationships, but you see <laughs> Luke fickle, like on the road every day posting pictures with new high school yeah. head coaches trying yeah. to build the relationships. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how it turns out. Well, and even like on that recruiting standpoint, there's a reason Wisconsin or not Wisconsin, but the Varsity Collective put up uh billboards. Billboards all across the they were only in Times Square. New York. They were only up for 15 minutes. Right. Did you guys know that? Yeah. They were only up for a second. They just had well-placed people take pictures. Right. And yet it made it all over the place. Because I think they're paying Big Cat to pump up their stuff. Okay, good. That's smart. Yeah. I mean, I I looked up the average cost of a billboard in New York City is $1,400. I don't know how long it stays up. But that's the average cost Listen, of like we every, were actually, everything. When we were nice at Athens Grill, yeah. we were actually wondering how long do you think they were going to have them up for, and how much do you think that cost? So if it was just fifteen minutes, fifteen minutes, who knows? Probably, I, probably a couple grand. <laughs> um, but yeah, you mentioned, I mean, Riley coming in to try to take kids. It's not as if in the last five years kids haven't been taken out of the state. Well, but like Ohio State's taken a couple big ones. Right, Notre, Notre Dame, Dame got a big one. Penn State got Jerry Cross. Like, like th- that stuff has been happening. It's like during the years where the state of Wisconsin has a lot of really good players, like twenty twenty two. I think it's more the shock of USC being in the state of Wisconsin. Yeah, like Notre Dame. That, that's more one because yeah. the other ones are more regionally based. Yeah. It's the Big Ten. <laughs> yeah, like Notre Dame. It's the Big Ten. As a Big Ten guy, it's Big Ten football, <laughs> man. Notre Dame, Michigan, Ohio States, if they come in and poach a Wisconsin player here and there, you're used to that because yeah. of the proximity. And, and they've the, always done it. And the statuses. And yeah, they, they've always Look been there. Look at Rocky there. Blyer back in the day. How many From Appleton went on, went on down to Notre Dame. How many that's times have you watched time. USC football and go, man, and <laughs> that left tackle that they got that's a stud <laughs> is from Milwaukee? Never. Yeah. That's never been a thing. Right. But uh, the other thing why I wanted to bring this up was with basketball. 
So now basketball, we know that they recruit Wisconsin, Illinois, Minnesota. That's like their main recruiting ground. They get does, uh, Ohio occasionally. Does this open up the rest Indiana. of the United States, kind of like with football? Do we think that maybe Greg Gard goes out and, and and goes out west like the football has started to, Oof. or goes down south? I know it's I know it's a question, but with more money and more and more, uh, you know, recruiting employees. Maybe there's opportunity for that, and maybe you're not going to have to watch some of these guys that are currently playing. Well, I can definitely say the football program seems to have more money in it currently than the basketball one, at least in terms of. I'm going to assume this off season that's it'll also go into basketball. This all has happened so fast. Um, I so I'm a guard defender. I don't necessarily think there should be a conversation regarding his job. However, I will say, and I guess this is to his detriment. Like we had Daryl Peterson on the show, Kenny and Heilprin last week. His brother out of Akron, <laughs> Ohio is a five star, like top three player in the class. He's incredible. And we asked Daryl, it's like, yo, can you bring him to Wisconsin? And Daryl said, first of all, I don't think I'll be here for a fifth year, which would be when he would be a freshman. Yeah. Uh, so I don't plan on being here for that. But also, I don't think he wants to come here. It's like there also is a certain level of player yeah. that doesn't want to play in this offense. Well, that's that's exactly it. Look at what they did with football. You re, you know, you kind of rechain everything. You bring in a Luke Fickle who's definitely a but lot. But who's a Luke Fickle? That's my only this is my problem with basketball. In football, there's a very clear pipeline and line of succession when it comes to coaching. Yeah. Where you have the Power 5 high-level coaches and the SEC is very like they just it, it, it's a uh, uh, what's the word? Nepotism? Like yeah, sure. like as soon as one coach gets gets fired somewhere, they'll go to another SEC school. Yeah. But elsewhere in college football, there's a very clear pipeline of group of five programs where when a guy's really good there, you know he will get a head coaching job somewhere in the future. Yeah. In basketball, and this is like I follow football closer, mm-hmm. but I don't think they have that in basketball. So when people say, in theory, oh, we need to bring in a Luke Fickle-like coach to Wisconsin – Who's a Luke Fickle-like coach in college basketball? Who's a guy that has been incredible at another place that is looking to move up? Yeah, and that, like Luke Fickle saw Wisconsin as a dream, as a destination job because they're in the Big Ten. They have a national brand, and he thinks he can he can win to his fullest capability here. I, the big question is who like who in college basketball would view Wisconsin this way? Shaka Smart. <laughs> I, see. The two names that I would going, be like, are you going Chris Beard on that? No, no, no. Okay, well, he is he is available, <laughs> he is isn't available. he? Available. But um, the two names that I always go back to, like when you're talking about if you could upgrade, if you were going to nail down a coach where you know it was significantly an upgrade, like Who? Luke Luke Fickle was an upgrade to to Jim Leonard, even though Jim Leonard was a Wisconsin guy. Yeah, but I've always I've always liked John Beeline ever since he got canned. Oh from come the Cavs. on! And but he's know, unemployed. I mean, who currently has a job? Oh, 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 he did good things for West Virginia and Michigan. How about this one, Ben? Is John Beeline? Does he have a job? No. Oh, he's unemployed. I think he's a studio analyst. Okay, right so okay, would he leave a cushy studio job where he's probably making a lot of money to go have to go on the recruiting trail every day? That's another question. Like I like Beeline too, but. I mean, who is a current coach at a program that is lesser to Wisconsin that would make a jump? That's my question because I don't, I can't come up with names. That's, that's except part of the other thing. Except another guy. Guy. It's hard to come except up with names. I got one for you. Shaka Smart. Yeah. Ah, that wouldn't work at Wisconsin. Take I, it from Marquette. I think or, it'd be hilarious. Oregon zone. How about this, Ben? 
He he's technically not employed in this line of work, but he is employed. Oh no, Jay Wright. No. Okay. Jay Wright. Why? It's, in a, the it's world? a guy that recruited a lot of four-year players. Why the hell would Jay Wright money. retired from Villanova? Money. No, you cannot Lots pay of money. Do you know how much money he's making with CBS? <laughs> More than CBS money. So, yeah. like, like Jay Wright was in. Like, he is. We have the Varsity Collective. Now, the right? most legendary coach in Villanova history. He's won. He won national titles. He's, he's up incredible. There in Big East history. And that's saying a lot. He, in college basketball history. Yeah. He retired in a very, um, I would say, positive and non-selfish way, unlike yeah. Coach K. But why? Why in the world hey would guys, he come out of retirement retiring. to come to Wisconsin? Lots of money. Lot. Hey Ben, so how about much this Far though? City Collective money, do, Ben. You don't even know. Do you do see what I'm saying? Though it's not easy to just say, "Oh, we could just do a Luke Fickle thing." Because who is who is Luke Fickle? That's my question. Yeah. If people bring good names, then fine. We'll have right. that conversation. Yeah. If you weren't, I don't know who the hell that is. If you weren't going to change Wisconsin or or try to change Wisconsin the least amount of as possible, but yet bring in the best coach, don't you think Jay Wright would fit that mold? <laughs> but Jay, also in a perfect world, but ben, also that's not. That's no. Not, that's not freaking Tony Tony Luke Bennett, Fickle, you know. That's like yeah, because he's not young, or he's or also younger. not a not a guy who would go to a lower division, well, perceived division school to make a name for himself to That's go back. Division. I know, but like you know what I'm saying. Okay, um, do your Jay right. I would say Tony Bennett, but Virginia's a better job than Wisconsin. You bite your tongue. It's true. It is. Hey, yeah. Virginia's the only team to ever lose to a 16 seed. Yeah. Uh, Wisconsin's never lost to a 16 seed. And they won a national title the year later. Oops. We don't mention that. Justin, Justice wins a Let's go to our handicapper of the stars. We have Dave Essler. If you want to follow Dave Essler, it's Dave underscore Essler on Twitter. Good morning, Dave. Good morning. So, so no Evo today, so I guess that means you and I have to argue. Well, th- think about how he's left us, Dave. We have us here in Wisconsin where it's anywhere between negative 10 and zero right now. He He's flying to Mexico, and I'm seeing in Florida it's a nice little heat wave in the 80s. Uh, uh, yeah, kind of kind of was yesterday anyway. my uh, I did play 18 holes of golf yesterday. You're right. Won't happen today. A little bit rainy, but they'll be tomorrow. I guess I, I pity you at this point. Right now, if you wanted to go out and play some golf here in Wisconsin, uh, good luck finding your white ball in the white snow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I don't like those green ones um, because they they get a little harder to find. <laughs> so, Dave. They seem, to be, they seem to be the trend. So, Nelson. Let, let's talk a little bit of gambling. So, when it's the week before the Super Bowl, you have no NFL. Uh, for some of the people out there, like what are you what are you going through? I know you're a big golf guy. I know you're in on basketball, both NBA and college. Are you just are you just kind of putting football aside and going all in on all the other sports? Or are you still starting to look at some of the props? Like what is Dave's schedule for the week before the Super Bowl? Well, I kind of go in and out of all of those things at certain times. Like I do look at the props every day and watch the market on the on the side and the total. I mean, I, I kind of already know what I'm going to do. I'm just hoping the public moves the number a little bit more. And props are, um, you know, you got to have you pick those off a little at a time um, because the problem with props, what well, you know, there's two problems. One, you're kind of limited um, in terms of what how much you can bet, but there's so many of them that you can get down a good amount of money. But 
um, because that market is not liquid at all, like the game itself will be the most the most efficient market of the year in any sport. It always is with so much money in it, but the props are not that way. So, you know, it, it only takes a couple hundred dollar bets to move a, you know, Patrick Mahomes yards, in, you know, over or under, you know, five to eight yards. So if you see something that you like early, you need to probably bet it early. So, you know, I'm kind of building and building and building. Um, I am going to take the under, I believe. Um, it's, um, you know, Philadelphia, you know, you guys probably already talked about it. Um, you know, they beat the Giants and they beat the 49ers without a quarterback. I'm not taking anything away from Philadelphia being very good. Um, but I actually trust Spagnuolo in big games. I mean, I, I, I was a firsthand witness to what he did to the Patriots in 2007 in the Super Bowl. And he did it again last week. So I think he can limit the damage. And on offense, you know, Kansas City, um, you know, Mahomes played last week. He didn't do the healing process any good. And, you know, it was obvious he was he was hindered. But, you know, so now he's probably got it no better than it was before in two weeks. And if people think two weeks is enough to heal from a high ankle sprain, they they need to go and look at Dr. Google. So I don't think Kansas City is going to be at the top. So I like the under. And, yeah, I'm plodding away at the NBA and college basketball. Dave, Ben Kenny here. I want to, I want to get in the weeds for a second here on the Super Bowl. I'm with you on the under as well, where it feels like when – maybe this is just my stupid brain – but when two good offensive teams play, I just feel like the under hits more than not where, where people might inflate it a bit. But I want to talk about Nick Sirianni for a second entering this game. How does the betting market view him? Because he's obviously taken a lot of flack from everybody. You have a Giants player saying that anybody could coach at the Eagles and how good they are. How does the betting market view him as a head coach? I don't think they view him well at all. I mean, I you know they're giving Andy Reid the huge the huge coaching edge and you know for what it's worth i tend to agree that um i mean, I, guess I, I don't know i don't know if anyone could coach the giants i mean the eagles but a lot of people could so he gets he gets zero um better credibility right now and obviously you know being his first time um and and hurts his first time i mean the game is very different as you know um it's not a regular game you know they have they're on the field about 30 minutes before kickoff. You know, they have the they have the security detail everywhere they go for for five days. And, and you know, Hertz nor Seriani have ever been exposed to that. And obviously all of Kansas City's team players, coaches, and whatnot have. So I think they have a huge advantage. So, Dave, just, just a general rule of thumb, if you're going to give people advice to betting props in the Super Bowl, like, what would that advice be? Because I know just just off the top of my head, a lot of times if you're going to look and bet props, you want to bet the nose in props. Or you want to bet, even if it has a high uh, point of vig, don't be scared of that. It's probably because it's a very highly likely that it's going going to happen. So what I guess what would your advice be for some of the listeners that are getting ready to bet NFL props for the Super Bowl? Um, that's a good question, and I have what I hope is a good answer. I mean... If you're at a Super Bowl party and, and you know you're just betting ten props for ten bucks a piece and you don't really care about a hundred bucks, um, you know bet whatever you want. But 
I always recommend people don't do those, um, the Gatorade color, the, uh, you know, who scores first. You know, they try to outthink the room. Uh, unless you don't care about, um, you know, the money you're going to spend and it's just party time. But if you're going to spend money you care about and you want to win, I think you have to find the more tangible ones, if you will, you know, receiving yards, rushing yards, um, those kind of things where the uh, the books don't really have an advantage. Obviously, on a coin flip, they have every advantage. So I always – I stay away from those. I know I might – I might do something like a, a safety uh, or a two-point uh, attempt for a good price. But, you know, you mentioned the yes-no ones, and and it kind of galls me a little bit that, you know, the yes price might be, you know, minus 500, but the no price might be plus 300. And that's like a huge hold number for the books. So I just, like, psychologically have a hard time even – taken plus 300 when I should really have plus 400. But either way, um, you know, those are more uh, money I don't care about as much. But, yeah, if you're going to bet any money that, I mean, you shouldn't be betting money you don't really want to lose anyway. But, you know, if you're betting to, to kind of stay ahead of the game and stay away from those, you know, 50%, um, 50% outcomes because – you need to win 52.38 percentage of your bets to make money at minus 110. So, I mean, those yes-nos make that win percentage even lower, uh, even higher rather than what you need to win at, at you know. you know. So what I'm getting is you're all out on the Will Rihanna show an ass cheek type oh. props. That's a lock. Yeah, I'm, I'm all How about, um, I, I mean, tails is going to hit, right? Uh, yeah, good point. That's what good we're really point. trying to bring you on for. Which which side of the coin flip am I betting? Well, well played. Um, I'd have to look at the history and see if there's any trends. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dave, before uh, before I let you go, I want to get some. If you had any basketball picks for the people out there, or golf picks, or whatever you got for us, uh, what have you been looking at for today? Um, I'm kind of looking at the Indiana Pacers getting two and a half at home against Sacramento. Um, reason being is I would have expected Sacramento to be favored by considerably more, and uh, it's not. So there's something going on a little strange there. And usually when it's that strange, it's not something you, you want to just ignore. And uh, I can almost say the same about the Orlando Magic. Now, they're getting better, and they're a scary team. Um, but, you know, Minnesota just beat Golden State, so everybody's like Yahoo and, and – uh, you know, obviously they don't have Towns, and they got a few other guys that, that might not play tonight. So, kind of thinking Orlando might give them a better game than than they want. So, if I'm doing it right now. I'm taking the Orlando Magic plus five, or the Indiana Pacers plus two and a half, and home underdogs in the NBA. That one be at Indiana are are generally profitable over the course of time. Now, Dave. Ben has been scolding me for some of my golf picks, and I gave out a golf pick today. I I took. Dave, he doesn't know how to say any of the names. In in a round two matchup, give me Victor Hovland over Matthew Fitzpatrick. He doesn't know how to pronounce the names, Dave. That's a problem. (laughs) That's what I'm Um, saying. um, Can I get the reasoning behind Hovland over Fitzpatrick? Fitzpatrick, 
working with a sore neck. They're both playing an easier course. He's not going to be able to take advantage of the easier course like a healthy Victor Hovland from the homeland of Norway. So it's like that up. It is an injury thing. There's always a chance for a withdrawal. Well, what price did you have to pay for Hovland? Having said that, and it's public knowledge, he should have been about minus 140. It was actually minus 115. Well, you got value then. And and I'll be rooting for Fitzpatrick. And I'm sure Ben will too. As well, Dave. Well, I mean, I can't I can't let your short term um, golf acumen dictate the rest of the year. Although, actually, I can. I had a I had a, a protege one time that was really actually pretty good, but he got a little full of himself because he started winning, and um, there's nowhere to be found now. Well, Dave, I'd so, like to. Th- Thank you for joining us. I know we're a, a little bit close to a break here, but uh, yeah, thanks for joining us. We are going to imagine the warm weather in Florida, and uh, we'll have you back on next Friday, probably talk some more Super Bowl props. You got it, guys. I have a great weekend. You too. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Dave. And there he is. That's Dave Esler, pregame.com. You can also find him on Twitter at Dave underscore Esler. Ben, you brought up the Aaron Rodgers thing. I am just totally, totally disagree with you. Don't take it personal because you're more huh. naive. But that that guy has held the Packers hostage. They just need to get rid of him. Oh, I agree with you. No, I think the get Packers him. are best off if they do get rid of him. My point was the two the the organization itself. I think is in a good spot where you could see the benefits of both situations. I think yeah. moving on is better long term for them to win, but. If they if he does stick around, it's not as if they're they're paying some bad horrible quarterback all this money. No, right. I mean, it, it's not like the cupboard is empty, but right. They're uh, not the Vikings. No, but I mean that guy. Just we need a change. A change is coming either this year, or next year, and it's just time to pull the plug and move on. And until we do that, we're not sure what we really have in a team and what we have in Jordan Love, and that's the or in Matt Lafleur. I'll add on yeah, to that. Right. I I think next no. year could be so huge. To learn what Jordan Love can be if he's the starter with teams preparing to stop him, I think you also learn a lot about Matt LaFleur as a head coach. I agree with you because this year he was experiencing things that a lot of first-year coaches get minus an Aaron Rodgers. You know, you don't go 13-3, and um, and how do you react to that? So I agree with you. But, uh, hey, you guys keep up the good work. You're you're into the last hour, as Rowdy said, and we're minus evil, and you're still both talking. That's a great sign. So, uh have a no, it's dead. I appreciate it, man. Have yeah, a good one. Talk soon, all right? Yep. yep. Thanks for the um, call, Troy. When it comes to Rodgers and and whether to move on or not, I don't mean this as an apples-to-apples apples comparison. Just there are situations we can look to with other teams, semi-recently, honestly, that can kind of show what the benefits of moving on early could be. The Eagles had Carson Wentz, and they were paying him all the money. And it was obviously clear that he was very injury prone and was not going to be a guy to win long term. But some franchises out there, when you pay the quarterback all the money, you you feel beholden to him. And the front office did in a way. Uh, Doug Peterson was trying to go off him and the front office wouldn't let him until he got hurt and Hurts comes in. Carson Wentz pushes his way out. So they got kind of lucky it happened. But you could see the benefits of, okay, you take a year to rebuild. You see what the young quarterback is like. 
in their situation, the young quarterback is hit and then they're able to build such a good roster around him because the money is not all tied up in the quarterback. And especially as I forget who recently said, the problem is not paying a quarterback a lot of money. It's paying a bad quarterback a lot of money. And I'm not saying Aaron Rodgers is, but you could see a blueprint of if they do move on teams recently have done that with older, with aging expensive quarterbacks. And it's almost always ended up positively for the team. See, I think there's a difference between what you just said and what a lot of Packer fans are actually thinking that might agree with you. Now, where I think it's different with the Philadelphia Eagles, it's different to me with the Eagles because they completely ripped the bandaid off. Like, they drafted Jalen Hurts, they got rid of Carson Wentz, but they also had a roster that they were canning. But they drafted Hurts while Wentz was still the starter. They drafted Hurts to be the backup. It was a similar draft pick to Love. Hertz was early second round. They draft him when they still have a quarterback that was older, that they were paying a lot of money. The Eagles moved on from a lot of older players, though. I feel like the Packers and a lot of Packer fans are thinking to themselves right now, hey, with the pieces we have, if we get rid of Aaron Rodgers, there's not on, there's not going to be much of a difference between Rodgers and Love. If anything, I think a lot of these people that want to move on think Love can actually be better than Rodgers. I don't believe that to be true, but I think they believe that to be true. But I think at this point, this Packers roster, because they've went all in, because they've kicked these contracts down the road, you are left with, say you do get rid of Aaron Rodgers, you're left with Jordan Love. Is he going to have Aaron Jones? Is he going to have David Bakhtiari? Is the defense going to have Devondre Campbell, Rasul Douglas? Like These are all guys that could, in theory, be cut to save money. And that's completely stripping your roster. Like if you, if you want to do it, do it, but they're going to be bad next year. It's the same thing with me and the Brewers. If you're going to suck, make sure and be the worst suckiest team out there. So you can build draft picks and you can, you know, hold money. Don't, don't be the 80 win baseball team. Don't be the eight and nine, nine and eight football team. Cause that's the worst place to be. And if they, if they do move on from Rogers, they need to move on from their entire plan, which the entire plan so far has been kick contracts down the road because we're going all in for Aaron Rodgers. The plan needs to be rip the Band-Aid off, cut ties with all these aging veterans that are making a lot of money in the best way you can. Let's stink for one year, then get back on track. So how do you learn about Jordan Love in that scenario if you don't surround him by anything? See, I... You're already paying all. You're already paying all of those guys all the money, and long term, they're probably not going to be on the team. But why would you cut them when you don't need to? The whole point is, like, yeah, you're going to be in a tough spot money wise because of Rodgers, but you don't think you can necessarily win it all next year. Maybe you could make it to the playoffs as a seven or six seed. But what you do is with the the talent they have, and they have some really good young talent on offense. Clearly. You think that you could learn about love. If you cut all those guys, you're not learning anything because the team will stink. Well, that's the thing. They still have to get under the salary cap whether Rodgers is on this roster or not. So some tough cuts are going to have to be made, whether they're on the defensive side of the football or the offensive side of the football, or they're if they're going to retain everyone, because it's not actually out of the realm of possibility that they don't retain most of the guys on the roster, is you're continuing to kick the contracts down the road and that's actually going to hurt love if you become something because 
it'll be a time where you're not able to afford a piece that would bring in, you know, like a good player. Like the, the Eagles brought in A.J. Brown. Like if they keep doing this to retain the Aaron Joneses and the Bakhtiaris, they won't be able down the road to bring in an A.J. Brown for a Jordan Love if he does reach that type of a level. I think they maybe well, they wouldn't need to keep kicking the money down the road. It's already paid. The question is the only situation, the, the scenario where they have to keep screwing themselves into the future is if they want to add to the team. I don't think they need to cut guys to get under the salary. They're already under. They're like 15 million under, which means you can't really go and add pieces to the team, but you wouldn't need to necessarily gut the roster to get under the cap. They're not that screwed. They're screwed in the future because when these guys are making the money and aren't big contributors to the team, they just won't be that good. The only scenario where they have to go and push money back continuously is to is to sign big time players, which you would think you would need to do with Rodgers. But with love, you wouldn't approach it that way. I don't think you would need to just get rid like of all the good players. They have to know what they have in love. Like, and oh, if I they don't do- think so. You don't think they know what they have in love for three years? He's only played in, in a couple games. And as we have seen with other quarterbacks across the league, there are big jumps taken as you gain experience. Like, it's not as if you see him a couple years ago in a game and say, okay, he's going to be bad forever. No. Then he comes in and he might be better, but he hasn't really played. I the, always, there's a big difference between the between practice and inside the building and when you're actually out there against a defense trying to stop you. I always go back to something Jimmy Johnson said on Colin Coward's show a few years ago. It's, I only needed a couple practices to know the guys that were good enough to make this team and play at the NFL level. I don't need an entire preseason. Now other coaches like to evaluate and obviously fans like to evaluate because fans aren't at practice and they don't, they're not close up with these players all the time. Now, the other thing that I think of is if you're talking about the times in which Jordan love has played, I would say it's, it's been more negatives than positives. But you're going back further in the years to find the negatives. That's the thing is there is a chance that he just got better. That that the the bad times you saw him out there, there's a chance that that he just improved during that time. And, what, and he's saw... actually a better quarterback than he was. Also, when Jimmy Johnson was the coach and obviously very accomplished great coach, the practice regimen of the NFL was different. You could hit you could do full pad practice. You could practice throughout the year. In the new CBA, you barely even like practice at full speed. So I think it's harder today than it was then to learn how a backup looks in practice. You might still be able to see, but as a quarterback in the quarterback position, so much of the evaluation isn't just whether he can make throws. It's how does it look like? Is he able to read? Is he able to anticipate? I think that's stuff that you can't replicate in practice. I, I don't think you ever could, but especially especially now compared to that. Well, like, let's go through the Jordan Love timeline. Drafted in 2020, there's no preseason. He doesn't sit uh, suit up for a single game. All, all we see is him in a tracksuit on the sideline and then, like, a couple released videos of him missing a net. And then we go to year two, and Jordan Love plays in the preseason for, what, like, ha- roughly half of the preseason games was meh. And then he played against the Bills where he actually looked pretty decent, like he had some juice against the ones and twos with the Bills, with the twos and threes with the Packers. But it didn't result in points, and it was like a, you know, he threw a pick, but it was a bad play, but he improv and made some plays. And then he played against the Kansas City Chiefs, and they scored seven points. And that was where his mom made it to the game. They put her up in the nosebleeds, 
Aaron Rodgers had COVID toe, or at sure, least that's what that they're was, reporting. That was a long time ago. Then he got the then he got the last game of the 2021 season. Did not look good against the Lions. Now came into the next preseason, which is this last preseason, looked better. Played against the Niners, made some throws that he didn't make previously or wasn't consistently making. Then got in there against the Eagles. Now, in my opinion, the Eagles were playing off, off quite a bit. They had a nice, comfy lead. There was no threat from the Packers. Made a lot of nice throws. Now, that wasn't the same defense and defensive pressure that Rodgers was facing. But, yeah, he made nice throws. I think you can easily say from 2020 where he's missing a net, an open net on air, to what you saw last against the Eagles. Clearly, he's better, but he's also been in the system for three years. We know Jordan Love has arm talent. We know he's athletic, but does he have the accuracy? Has the accuracy improved? Is he, is he, my question would be, is he a legit top half quarterback in the NFL? I think he could be. My whole point is I don't think we know. And the only way we will know is by seeing him start for a year. And if he doesn't start next year for the Packers, he is, he's not going to be on the team going forward. That's one thing we agree on. If he's not the starter next year for the Packers, he never will be. But hey. let's go to the phone. 608-321-1670. Line one, who do I got? This is Bill. Hey, Bill. What's up, Bill? Nelson, how are you doing? Good, how are you? A little chilly, but otherwise I'm good. Say, I was just calling to listen to your stuff. I, I've always called in and been very pro Aaron Rodgers, and I still am, but I think it's time to move on. See, that's the thing. The value. Bill, that's the thing, though. It's like we you can still have the take that the Eagles are frauds, but they're a good team. It's the same thing. It's the, I had to say that. Has that I, had to, I had to say that because here. You just bet the Niners and you're unhappy with it. But, but nobody has that take. You can still say for this season, Aaron Rodgers is clearly going to be better than Jordan Love. But because of the franchise and his contract and the salary cap, it might be best to move on now than in two years. And you know, at first I didn't say the, the Eagles are frauds. I don't remember saying that. Maybe I, I said that. No, it's Nelson's I, I thing. I know. Um, and you know what? Wasn't the old, oh, isn't the old adage better to move on a year too soon than a year too late? Yep, that's the Bill Belichick way. And and frankly, and listen, uh, hindsight being what it is, like the contract they signed with Aaron, I, I think is stupid. Uh, they gave him a one year, a hundred million dollar extension, but yep. the optics of it were necessary because that's a two time back to back MVP that was playing as good as he's ever played. So I don't. People say that oh, go back. They should have done it last off season and gotten the Wilson deal. It's like, yeah, that would have been cool, but they couldn't have. The optics just weren't. You can't sell that to a to a fan base. You're trading a back-to-back MVP. After last year, I think you can sell it that it's the best move going forward. And, and you know what? I'm not saying I hope Jordan Love succeeds, but I think if Jordan Love was all that, he would have played a couple games when Rodgers had a broken thumb. Oh, so I, it's interesting. We are actually talking about this on Bill's show yesterday. I... I see that point of view and I myself think that maybe love could have played better in some of those games. I just think, I don't think Matt LaFleur could have benched Aaron Rodgers. I don't think Rodgers would have let them bench him because I think he has that much power in the organization. I think if they had come up to him and said, okay, you could play through the thumb, but you're not playing great. I, I think he would have said like, no, no, like you're not benching me because he saw what happened when like he would go in for Favre, Right. And everyone's like, Oh, this, this guy's the guy. I think he saw or might have seen love in the rear view mirror and said, okay, if this guy comes in and wins five in a row, th- then I'm gone. I'm cooked. I need to stay in and win these games. But Bill to, to Ben's point, 
I think that's on LaFleur because he doesn't have the balls to say it to Aaron Rodgers, even though he's been there. And on paper, he's a coach that's won 13 games three years in a row. Bill Belichick literally told Wes Welker to his face that Julian Edelman is Wally pipping him. And then he laughed at him like and Wes Welker was one of the best slots in the NFL. Like some of these other guys in the past that are coaches that have been good coaches and and clearly are the leader of their team would easily tell, hey, this is what we're going to do. And then you know what? What you guys are saying is exactly right. That tells you that uh, LaFleur is Rogers' bitch, and that's why they hired him. I I would agree. The more you watch it, the more it's like – he gets that, you know, wishy-washy with the interviews, and it's like he's not confident. He's not stern. He doesn't – He do, you don't need someone to put people in their places 24-7, but when it's time, it's it's time to do it. And in a time like that, if he really thought love was better, it's time to say, you know what, Aaron, it's time for you to rest for a couple weeks. I'm the head coach. You're the player. You get comfortable on the bench. We're going to see love play. But he didn't. he didn't have the balls to do it. Hey, do you guys think LaFleur was one of those male college cheerleaders without the muscles? <laughs> God. Um, here's the question, though. Is this a knock on LaFleur, or is it a knock on the organization at giving one player more power than everybody else? Don't right? you think they had – don't you think they – you know, I called in three years ago about why would you hire LaFleur when the Titans are going to fire him after one year as the offensive coordinator with Derrick Henry. And, you know, but, but I think the organization – felt like they had to get that guy in there, that type of guy in there to keep him. I always wondered, why did Bruce Arians not come? Did he not come because of Aaron Rodgers? Or did he not come because of... Oh, he would have uh, rather played Brady. with Brady. <laughs> but, he didn't have, but he didn't have Brady. He chose the guy, uh, Winston, Jameis Winston, yeah. versus Aaron Rodgers. That was his first year. He didn't know he'd get Brady. Yeah, I don't. Well, I I will say I think it's a somewhat dangerous situation to walk into when the quarterback is is bigger than the organization, which I think is what's well, going on. If you look at hindsight's twenty twenty, Bill, but if you look back at the potential hires that they could have had, Lafleur is definitely in the top three out of like the you know the hand five to ten that were listed. So he he maybe he wouldn't have been the best, but he was far from the worst. So I don't think they necessarily did a bad job with the hire. But I was right there with you. I had so many question marks because of all of his question marks. But that being said, even if he was a top one, two, or three coach that they ended up would have been hiring, it doesn't mean that he doesn't still control the room. I, I, I don't think he's wired that way. I mean, you can see the way. I mean, just, just keeping uh, Barry. I mean, he's not wired to control the room. He's He's... It's just how he, and that's fine. And maybe that's the kind of coach that you need these days. Well, I appreciate the the call, Bill. Anyways, you guys take care. Have a great weekend. You You too, too, man. And that's the other thing. It's like, he probably looking back might've been one of the better hires, but is he necessarily a top NFL head coach? One that, that can put Aaron Rodgers in his place and, you know, be stern with grown men, grown alpha males. I think he was at the beginning, but again, as that two off seasons ago thing went on and the organization felt somewhat beholden to the quarterback, in my opinion, and somewhat elevated him above many others, 
I think that created a dynamic where LaFleur feels like he can't. And again, I could be wrong. There could be like Goody and LaFleur could have genuinely just thought that there's no way Love could have won the games. But with how Rodgers was playing and through the injury and everything, part of me feels like they just like Rodgers just said, like, no, you cannot like like you're not benching me. And, well, and his word goes more than anybody else's. Here's one thing. So Ebo and I, when we were out at Athens, I said this and Aaron Rodgers for fighting the man. We'll say like the organization, the team is the man for a guy fighting the man. He's probably done about as good as he can do leveraging his own situation, whether it be through roster control and contracts with money. Like as a player, you can't do much better than what Aaron Rodgers has done. People say, man, he's even gotten more, you know, wiggle room than Tom Brady at times and blah, blah, blah. And I even said this at Athens and then Rob Reichel echoed, echoed it yesterday. It was, the only guy that you can really compare him to with how much control he's had in a professional sport that's maybe had more is LeBron James, where he's talking about hiring and firing coaches and players he wants. But what's the difference there? The big difference is in the NBA, you could fit everybody under the cap. Like It's not hard to construct a roster. Just a question of whether you can get the players in the NFL. When you sign a one year, $100 million extension, what the hell do you expect the team to be able to do? Well, my thing, that's, that's one thing that's not talked about much. And it's the organization of the green Bay Packers. Yeah. He was playing much better in that 2019 season and then back to back MVPs. But the thing that's not talked about is remember his original deal. It, It was signed years ago. So it wasn't as bad against the cap. They not only gave him the big extension, but for remember, they cut off a year. They cut off a year in his contract. He would have actually have been married to the Packers for one more year than what that original contract was two years ago and to less money. They didn't have to do what they did. They didn't have to give him that huge contract. Now it looks better because he was an MVP, but in theory, they didn't have to give him that leverage. This is what it would have, if they would have said no to Aaron Rodgers, you know what? We like the contract you're on. You're still under, because this would have been, I believe it, this would have been his last year under that contract. But he wouldn't have come back to the team. But that's what, it would have gotten a pissing match between him and the team. And is he going to go Carson Palmer? They were already in a match though. They were already, like the Packers were flying out to LA to woo him back to the team. They were already in that match. But that's where I find it hard to believe if, if you get in a pissing match with a guy and he's your franchise quarterback and you're going to give him all this power, but then all of a sudden you're going to pull the plug. It's like you already gave him the power. If you if you weren't ready to give him the power and said, no, we're going to do it our way, you would have told him, well, piss on it. We'll hold your contract. You want to cry and retire? Go cry and retire. And looking back, that might have been an intelligent thing to do. So I, think, that. so I think not only has LaFleur maybe dropped the ball, but it's not like the front office really backed LaFleur. You know what I mean? Like they went pro Rogers look at the deal they gave him. Yeah. Which I, again, I've, I've disagreed with from the start, which then I've they're in a tough spot because that. if they don't pull the plug on Rogers, they got to go all in with Rogers and keep kicking the contracts. But then at the same time, you sent your coach mixed messages like, Hey, know your place. It's kind of just a big cluster F and Right now, if they trade him and they can get something back and maybe rip the Band-Aid off, cutting a guy here or two and getting rid of some of this money, it takes one season and uh, you can turn it around. Or they continue to do what they kind of did inside with Rodgers and you continue to kick it around and hope he plays like an MVP and wins a Super Bowl. Ben, you asked a specific question 
before we went to break. It is, I mean, so there are two sides to this. While, as I've said, I think there are positives to both. But at the base of the I want Aaron Rodgers to return side and I want him to be back and I want the team to be back. I want there to be additions. The question is, do you think after what you saw last year that he going into age whatever season can win a Super Bowl with this team and this coaching staff and this defensive coordinator? Like if you hate Joe Barry or you don't like LaFleur or you don't like some of the offense, you don't like the receivers, whatever. The question is, do you think they can go and win a Super Bowl next year with this team? Because if the answer to that is no, then what the hell are we doing here? Then there's no, then, then why are you bringing him back? Now, J.A. Krebs said either go all in for Rodgers or tank for Caleb Williams and trade everyone else. Now, I would be in favor of Caleb Williams. Uh, the thing is, again, you would figure out next year if loves the guy. There's a scenario where you don't need Caleb Williams, but instead you have however many first round picks going into that year and then loves your guy. And then it's easy. The hardest thing to do is find another one. And then if you have one already, which you would find out, then that makes whatever reload a lot easier. But uh, if like, if you think this team and, and Aaron Rodgers can win a Super Bowl next year, then okay, bring it back, run it back, deal with the consequences, which will be large later. But if you don't think this team is good enough to win a Super Bowl next year, then, then I think the decision is kind of easy. Well, there was a lot of question marks coming in for the Green Bay Packers into the 2022 season when... Remember the year before they bring Rasul Douglas in from the Arizona Cardinals practice squad. He plays damn near like a pro bowl level corner. You bring in Devondre Campbell who he had bounced around in the NFL. I don't think at any other stop, he was more than just an average serviceable NFL inside linebacker. You brought him in as a, a free agent right before the season started, he comes in and just like Rasul Douglas plays at a fringe pro bowl type level. And both of those guys were huge question marks because they had really never done it, especially to that level before. And they both got pretty handsome contracts. You had Aaron Rodgers saying, Hey, we got to bring back, you know, Rasul Douglas. They both got pretty nice contracts, both three year guys, neither of which lived up, to what they did the year before. Now, Douglas was serviceable, but he didn't play at that borderline Pro Bowl level. Devondre Campbell was banged up, but he clearly wasn't the same receiver, especially out in the flats or covering tight ends that he was the year before. So the question is, do you think that uh, 2021 is what they are? Or do you think 2021 was the anomaly? That's ex- if, if 2021 was the anomaly with both of them and many others that are still on the team, then again is the team good enough to win next year? And the answer could be yes. I honestly don't. Don't you think though, if you look at this roster, if you retain kind of what it is and and like you said, if it's 2021 or 2022, it kind of, it kind of falls on Rasul Douglas and, and Devondre Campbell. Like those were guys that got decently big contracts and they've really only played up to it one year in their entire career. It, it, it might hinge if this team really was going to be, that type of team that Packer fans hope for on certain players like that. And now me looking at it, I would say odds tell me they're not going to be as good. They're, they're older. They haven't done it consistently. Odds would say they're not going to be as good. So what are we moving towards here? So then 
the other thing is so is now the you team got good a, enough. Now, if I purely look at this team, I think on paper when healthy, they're better than the Giants, who are the playoff team. I actually do think they're better than the Vikings. I think the Vikings were extremely lucky. Sure, they can. Uh, no one's going to doubt that they can make the playoffs. They were. I they, think the only teams that they are are firmly behind are the Eagles and the Niners. I think those are the only two teams you can say, for a matter of fact, they are firmly behind when they are not playing. And Dallas, Dallas, questionable. Dallas is a top to bottom better team right now, with where we stand. And have they won in the playoffs? No, they never will. But they are a better team where we stand. The only right now. way I think this Green Bay Packers team can win a Super Bowl if you continue to kick it, kick the contracts down the road, and go all in for the next you know two years because that's the life of this contract for Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers has to get back to MVP form, and you're going to have to have some of these higher paid guys that are getting older step up and play like they did years ago, which is in the NFL, once you start going downhill, we know once you hit those ages, the odds of that are very low unless, Ben, they turn to PEDs. That's the only way an old player all of a sudden after years of being average comes back to being great. That was where I was going to go. But you see where I'm going here. It's, yeah, they could definitely make the playoffs, but it's when they get there and they have two road games Let's say they're in the position that the Giants are even. Let's say they have three road games and they go and beat the Vikings in round one. Are you able to go win two road games on your way like Rodgers did with all the road games uh, back there in 2010? Uh, is is the team good enough? And yeah, they're probably three, and this is way too early, probably three teams that are firmly better. One could even argue the Lions are better where we sit right now after what we saw this past season and all the youth and money they have. So so the question is, like, do, do you think the team is good enough to make a run like that? And if it does hinge on Devon, I think it hinges on a lot. But if it It's does, a lot, but those were two of the, the big guys that were really good, that were key pieces in 2021 that weren't really there in 2022. Exactly. So if, if you think they cannot return to what they did in 2021, whether it's on them or whether it's on the coordinator, Barry or whether it's on the floor or whatever reason. And there are even guys like that on offense on the line and, and Tanya in a tight end. If you don't think they can return to that, then you're kind of also saying you don't think the team is good enough or will be good enough. Well, I would also, I would say this when you, when you look at this from a contractual standpoint with the salary cap and Aaron Rodgers, it's so hard for them to go forward with where they're at. Like they went all in or nearly all in the last two seasons and they came up snake eyes obviously didn't have any luck against the 49ers and then last season was last season I think if you are looking for it as a organizational I'm going to play the percentages it's probably time to play them because there's probably not going to be a Super Bowl but I also think you need to think of it this way Brian Brian Gutekunst thinking of it as his his job security if they don't truly know what they have in love, same thing with maybe LaFleur. If they don't truly know what they have in love, it's so easy for a GM and a head coach to say, we're sticking with this guy and we might go through some tough times for a couple of years, but hey, we had to do it to try and keep Aaron and the Super Bowl team together. And it's almost like their little built-in excuse. You know what I'm saying? Like for job security, it's easy to say, hey, we went down with the ship. 
with a four-time MVP, a Super Bowl champion, one of the best quarterbacks to ever do it. It's hard. It takes balls to be Ted Thompson and say, hey, Brett, you're out of here. We're going with Aaron. It, the, easy, the easy thing is to stick with them because you have the excuse. The hard thing to do is go to love. Yeah. And I think it is eventually the right thing to do. So, uh, in terms right. of their jobs, I don't know. It's, I wouldn't move on from LaFleur until I see him without Rodgers, until I see what that looks like. But if it goes really bad next year, I could hear arguments. In terms of Goody, I mean, you look at some of the moves he's made. Like, drafting's a big part of it. But also, it's a question of can you... like Bringing talent on from other teams is not dissimilar to drafting. Another thing I think we need to think about, and uh, this will tie the bow on this conversation because I know we're late for break. Mark Murphy, the guy that assembled the Brian Gutekunst, the Matt LaFleur, he is done in two years. This contract that Aaron Rodgers signed coincides with Mark Murphy and how long he's able to stay at the helm because of the Green Bay Packer rules. Would they not say, hey, we don't know who's going to come in here if they want to clean house. If Aaron Rodgers gives us our best chance to win now, we're not looking to rebuild for two or three years with Jordan Love. This is our time frame. We got to win to impress maybe our future boss. Or, yeah, and somewhat, I would argue that somewhat grasping. So... But it is it is a timeline that is somewhat connected. Sure, sure. So, a lo- but a lot of the arguments for keeping it together really just revolve around the decision makers don't want to get fired, and the decision makers want to win something before they're gone. In, in the case of Murphy, it doesn't have to do with in the next six to seven years what gives us a better chance to win a Super Bowl or go ten years, right? where a lot of this is, okay, what will they do? Because otherwise they won't have jobs, which, okay, that might explain why they do it. But I think that's different than should they do it. 